You're listening to Bizarre Buffet, a podcast of all-you-can-eat weird. I'm your host, Mark Toriello. I'm Jen Wilson. And I'm Mark Blustein. There'll be food and drink and ghosts. And perhaps even a few murders. You're all in private. When we first went in, uh, one of the people said, Who are you? And Tech said, I'm the devil, and I'm here to do the devil's business. Hi. 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 How are you? I guess we're okay. No, no, you guys are doing awesome. You guys got married. Yeah, we got we married. Haven't done it. We haven't recorded since you guys have been actually legally married. Is that oh, true? Really? Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. And that was August 25th. August 25th. L. Ron yeah. Hubbard came from the grave. Yeah. yeah. He actually came back. He came in a little UFO. He did. He came back in a little UFO, and it was so horny <laughs> and beautiful. It was a very sweet yeah. little ceremony. Jen Ron Hubbard was there. I was there. <laughs> Jerry Ron Hubbard. Yes. J. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> so, so, Mark and I, we got married just like at the town hall with a friendly crew of characters one yeah. would say but our wedding mm-hmm. seems to be quite the scandal oh yeah it was it was quite the sand sandal the it scandal was, it was the sandal it was the sandal of the season scan- but i have to say i was wearing head to toe leather yes you both didn't you both you head had leather on i did have leather it was just a jacket but mark was head to toe leather uh, and right i for knew it. i knew because jerry was like i don't know what to wear i'm like all right well i'm gonna tell you right now <laughs> yeah. One or both of the marks will be wearing some sort of leather. Yeah. And I was right. You were, totally, you were right. I was on like the totally money. on with it. And and the correct answer for um, what should we what should I wear would be anything. Anything, and exactly. Everyone came, all eight people, yeah. ten people that were there. Ten? I don't know. I don't remember um, now. But like, you know, everybody was wearing whatever the fuck they felt comfortable in we because that's the we way just to do didn't it. Want the wedding to be like a big thing. No. No. As small as possible. Now, are we allowed to share the news on this episode? Yeah, because by the time it comes out. By the time it comes out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jen and Jerry are getting married very soon. In a, a week from today. In a week, in a week from today. Friday the 13th. Yeah. How fucking cool. Yeah. Insert episode artwork of Mark Branch, the Friday the 13th yeah. killer. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That was a good episode. That was. Yeah, yeah. We did that one a year ago. And we're getting married at the same place that Mark and Mark are. Yes, which is so nice. It makes me so very happy. Chris, Mayor Chris, we're not going to say the town. Or the last name. Yeah, Yeah, or last name, but Mayor Chris... She's a good time. We yeah. like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you were fun. We're, we're fans. I think you enjoyed us too. Yeah, yeah. We should recommend the podcast to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. After well, after you guys are finally married, we'll give him a uh, flyer. Yeah, <laughs> well, it was his first wedding as the mayor mm-hmm. that he was conducting. Yeah, you were his first wedding. Yeah. yeah, we were his first. And not only was it like a, a gay marriage but yeah but a lot like of delinquents yeah, they were there in attendance and on the where all of us were laughing the yeah. whole time, oh, the whole time. Oh, it was but ridiculous on the marriage certificate or whatever like the application we said no religious connotations absolutely like, the word god does not exist in our vocabulary we, we did should we get into it i guess we should yes. okay so my question is actually very similar to one that you've asked mm-hmm. in the past mark so insert artwork here for the violet jessup episode oh violet jessup you asked if there was anything that was in our work environment that could be very fatal or deathly right? oh mm-hmm. 
So my question tonight is, Ooh, have sick. you ever had a near-death experience at work? I guess for me, when I worked for YSL, we had these guys come in and it was they ransacked the store mm-hmm. when I was there. They like stole like I think like twelve or fifteen handbags, like walls of handbags. Oh my and god! It was, like, and over, you like saw this all happen? It, 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 they they waited for me to open the door to open the store, oh, and I did, okay. and they just like bulldozed through. And I was like, what are you doing? And I, you see me walk away because I just don't care. I've heard people say that in a situation like that, you just let them do it. Oh, you have to. Yeah. You just let them yeah. do it and you just yeah. don't interject yourself. No, nope. yeah, it's just not worth basically it. Basically sit back and go, okay, girl, whatever you're doing, go ahead. So I guess like in my industry, that's a big area of concern where you would have like a near death experience. Were they armed? No, I didn't see anything, but down the line, the same people did the same thing to another store, and they caught one of the pers- one of the people, and they had a gun. So, oh, awesome! Yeah. I would imagine you would be armed if you're like that yeah. gutsy to do that. But then, wasn't there an update that you had later on where um, an officer had spoken to you, and they said that they caught one of the thieves and one of them actually died in a shootout. Yeah, that's oh how God. I knew that they were armed. Yeah. yeah. You, the person that robbed our store, they they robbed another like boutique a few months later and it ended yeah. in a shootout. Yeah. Kablam! Kablam! For me, I think Jen will probably remember this story when I, when I bring when it up. When I bring it up, I'll probably remember. But there was one day I was working at my current salon. <laughs> <laughs> I think you already are having an indication. Was this, during, was this during the snowstorm? Right? Yes, yes, it was. Yes. yes, it was. Did I feel as though I was in imminent danger? No, at first. But um, there was this random gentleman who came in, and I'm pretty sure there is an episode of our podcast here where we recount some of this story. We have it. Yeah, I remember there's this. something. We have recounted this before. Yeah, somewhere I along the way. I don't remember which episode, yeah. but it has been yeah. discussed. I mean, we're 100 and plus episodes yeah. in, so who knows where it is, but it's somewhere. But there was this guy who came in. <laughs> And at first, he was like, you know, like a little awkward, but like, listen, I'm a little awkward. It's fine. But like, as he sat down and we were discussing life and things that you discuss when you're like, you know, a person like me who is doing someone's hair and, you know, there's certain conversations that you have. It's just like, you know, making conversation. And as the story went on and like the discussions went on, he started basically telling me now, like, you know, trigger warning for victims of sexual abuse. He started telling me about how he was raped as a child. Oh, I don't remember this Mm -hmm. part of the story. Yeah. Yeah. This is like another, another aspect of it, but he, he, he's what you talk about with the stranger. As as one does, you know. And he found it necessary to tell me that they were men who raped him, and this was a male. Mm -hmm. So he proceeded to continue on and tell me how he essentially hates men now because he was raped by men, which I don't, I don't not understand that. Totally valid. Exactly. But he he kept referencing specifically his dislike towards gay men. 
because oh. he felt as though his Wrong audience. Was, yeah, well, yeah exactly. Like, what was the off-color thing he said about George Michael? George Michael, yeah. Because that's the that's the part of the story I always remember. Uh, yeah, but yes, and that oh, is oh that he had the touch of the gay, wasn't that exactly it? exactly Snitch touch? And yeah, peppering and, if you must. And you know, I said to him because you know, first of all, I'm I'm not a little bitch, and I'm a pretty brave person. And even though I was in a situation where I felt a little uncomfortable, what he was saying was that all gay men were rapists is what he was telling me so i increasingly felt more and more uncomfortable for obvious reasons of course. being a gay man i was like okay this is getting a little dicey but essentially what i said to him was you know it's really unfair of you to generalize and to imply that all gay people are yeah. rapists i was like you know a rapist can come in any form it doesn't matter gay straight any woman gender. male yeah, exactly. you know non-binary uh mm-hmm. whatever trans yeah. you know it like it doesn't matter nope. and he proceeded to be like yeah you know what you're right oh god yeah and he goes you know who i really like that George Michael. <laughs> it's a shame that he was a queer or he had a touch of the gay. It's a shame, shame that gay. I have to deal with you. Yeah, exactly. What now, this yeah, this was somebody that I was alone in my salon, which happens on the occasion. He you was know, a walk-in too, right? He, he was. He came in off the street, which is fine. You it know, was like right after or in the middle of a snowstorm. Yes, yeah. it was. You know, it, that, that was a situation where I definitely felt as though, um, like, I looked around because I work in a salon. There are, and there's an abundance of sharp objects in a hair salon. And I was looking oh, around, taking into account yeah. what was close to me that I could grab or that he could grab and I really felt in that situation that I I could have been in danger so that yeah I don't want to hear that yeah well my anxiety well it's it's a real story and it happened get the barbicide put it in their eyeballs I mean listen you never see again after that strong shit like yeah that's my story and I'm sticking to it all right (laughs) I used to work in a school with students who had autism and Mm -hmm. a lot of them were nonverbal, so they couldn't speak and a lot of them were very aggressive and we were all specifically trained professionally like how to do certain restraints it was called handle with care Mm -hmm. to be able to kind of like in a time of crisis if the person is going to become a threat to themselves and the people around them so like we we had like certain holds we had to put them in yeah a handful of classrooms that i worked in there were a handful of kids that had these tendencies and a lot of times like if one would go off then the other then the other so it was kind of like like a chain reaction it would be like a chain reaction and you had to always be on your toes and there was like a couple of times i thought i saw my life like flash by me i'm sure you know i mean there were some times where i've actually had to go to urgent care oh um, shit and other staff members have had to go to urgent care but that's probably like I wouldn't say I felt like I was in danger, but I definitely saw like my like life flash yeah. before yeah. me. Also, I feel like they don't have an awareness of how much strength they might have no, they in don't. those things. So yeah. they might think that they're pushing you off, but they're going like hang on. A lot of times yeah. too, you know, the fact that they can't communicate verbally they have to like kind of like express themselves through other ways. And yeah. Sometimes yeah. it becomes physical. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I can attest to this. I mean, my ex uh, sister-in-law worked with, you know, developmentally challenged children 
And the stories that she would have about kids, like, you know, bringing weapons, like homemade weapons. like That's rough. That's like a whole other yeah. level. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's a scary thing because it's like, you know, you're doing something that is, you know, you, Jen, people who work in that industry, in that world, you know, you're doing something good, but there are a lot of disadvantages challenges that you're presented with uh, dangers Mm -hmm. that the regular person may not be presented with just because you know of groups that you're working within with exactly you know we all have we all have situations situations. that we have felt threatened yeah we are in fact going to a workplace oh actually going to a film set Oh, oh okay. We are going on the film set of the Twilight Zone movie. Oh, Ooh. I was going to ask you if it was the Alec Baldwin one. It was not. Oh, not shit. All right. Al- well, I the did. Crow. It's not the crow. It's <laughs> not um, the Whatever Alec Whatever that movie, movie was called. Yeah. I don't know what the Alec Baldwin one was called. I knew the name. I can't remember it, though. But if any of you know, leave it in the comments. If you think of like movies where people actually died on set, it's the Alec Baldwin movie mm-hmm. in the crowd. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen the movie? I saw it a very long time ago. I saw it like probably when I was like six or seven. Okay. So. It's based on the TV show. The film was produced in 1983 by Steven Spielberg and John Landis. The film features four stories. So there's four different stories all in one. Directed by Steven Spielberg, John Landis, Joe Dante, and George Miller. Three of the segments were remakes from the original TV series. John Landis's was an original script that was created for the film. In his original script, the segment was called Time Out. This actor named Vic Morrow gets transferred back in time. And I know he goes to Vietnam. He goes to Nazi-occupied France. I know there's a moment where he's down south with the Ku Klux Klan. But in this one specific scene, he's in Vietnam where he becomes a Vietnamese man protecting two children from American troops. Okay. So the location of this film. The location of the film was in Valencia, California, and it was on a movie ranch called Indian Dunes. It no longer exists. Okay. But it was used throughout the 80s for various film and TV shows. The location was within what they call the 30-mile zone. The 30-mile zone is defined by Hollywood to determine employee benefits for film work done within it. Okay. So you essentially have to be working within, like, 30 miles of Hollywood. Okay, the 30-mile zone. Yes. Okay. This specific location was very wide open space. It allowed a lot more pyrotechnic effects and was able to shoot night scenes without the city lights in the background. Indian Dunes is over 600 acres and had a wide variety of topography, including green hills, dry deserts, dense woods, and jungle-like riverbeds along the Santa Clara River. So it was definitely an ideal place for a Vietnam War scene. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The scene itself was being filmed and shot at night. Vic Morrow's character carries two children out of a deserted village and across a shallow river, all while being followed by American soldiers hovering in a helicopter. Okay. Okay. So that's kind of the background of what this scene we're talking about tonight is. The production of the film. 
This is where it gets a little problematic. Oh, boy. John Landis violated a lot of California (laughs) child labor laws. Oh, boy. Oh, dear. He hired two children, seven-year-old boy Micah Dinley and six-year-old girl Renee Shin-Yi Chen. The children were hired after Renee's uncle was approached by a colleague whose wife was a production secretary for the film. Okay. He hired them without any permits. The children were also paid under the table to avoid state laws, which did not permit children to work at night. Oh, boy. So children could not work overnight shoots. And I'm actually, if I'm not mistaken, that might still be a thing today. Okay. I know with child labor laws for film, they're only allowed on like a film set X amount of hours a day. One could get special waivers, but John Landis didn't even attempt because he did not think that he would get permission for such late hour scenes because he knew that he would not get approval to have young children in scenes with large number of explosives. No. So he was like, it's late at night. There's a lot of explosive, but fuck it. We're going to have these kids come in anyway. Also, they have like deadlines too. Yeah. Like they have to produce the film in X amount of time. Otherwise, like. Absolutely. uh Because I make movies. Apparently. Yes, clearly. <laughs> I'm a filmmaker. That's, that's right. Ask Carol Ann, Mark, America's Sorry. Haunted Sweetheart. Yes. Starring Jen Wilson, Mark Triello, Can- and me. What is it? Cannibal Hooker. Yeah, Cannibal Hooker. Insert episode <laughs> yes. uh, artworks here for YouTube. Also, casting agents were not aware that young children would be involved in the scene. Oh, well, yeah, that can definitely play a role. The associate producer, George Falsey Jr., told the children's parents not to tell any firefighters on the set that the children were part of the scene and hid them from a fire safety officer who also worked as a welfare worker. Oh, Oh, they were really going big for this one. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. A fire safety officer was concerned that the blasts would cause a crash, but he did not tell Landis of his concerns. Okay. So this is like everyone's kind of at fault in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go to the accident. Oh... During filming, the helicopter was piloted by an actual Vietnam War veteran named Dorsey Wingo. Oh, hey, Dorsey. Hey. Hey, girl. He had the helicopter stationed about 25 feet from the ground near a large, what they call a mortar effect. So a mortar effect is a device used in films to create special effects that are consisted of pressurized air or gas, and it's forced through a tube to propel material, which is like dirt, glass, fake blood, to create a bursting or splattering effect. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. So it sounds like a wind machine on steroids. Yes, exactly. Got it. So this pilot turned the helicopter 180 degrees to the left for the next camera shot. Mm Mm-hmm. But the mortar effect was detonated while the helicopter's tail rotor was still on top of it. Oh. 
So the metal lid of the top of the mortar struck the tail, mm. causing it to fail and detach from the tail. Mm. The helicopter then began to spin out of control. Oh and while this was happening, Vic Morrow dropped the girl into the water. He's going to reach to grab her. The helicopter fell on top of him and the two children. No. Vic and Micah were decapitated by the helicopter's <laughs> main rotator blades. Oh. And Renee was crushed to death by the helicopter. Oh. All three died That's instantly. Terrible. Shit. The three of them were in the water. They were. What happened? And it just like. Poof, yeah. Or, oh god, that was a bad effect. Yeah, so... Of me to do that. With the water. Oh, yeah. That's fine. So, no, it's fine. Leave us a comment if you're offended. Who cares? Yeah, I guess. So, the investigation. So, there obviously was an investigation after this all happened. Mm -hmm. Because, like, you have an actor and then two children who were legally working. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Killed. Yep. Oh, shit. Okay. Oh, my God. So, essentially what they're saying is that the probable cause of the accident was debris from high-temperature special effects that were too near a low-flying helicopter. Okay. Which led, like I said, to, like, the rotator coming off and the tail coming off. So the proximity of the helicopter to the special effects explosion was due to the failure to establish direct communications and coordination between the pilot who was in command of the helicopter and the film director who was in charge of filming the operation. Oh. Oh, boy. There was a trial, obviously. Oh, yes. Right? That would make sense. So the action did lead to civil and criminal action against the filmmakers, and this lasted over a decade. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Micah's father, the boy who passed away, Daniel Lee, testified that he heard Landis instructing the helicopter to fly lower. All four parents of the children testified that they were never told that there would be helicopters or explosives on set. And they had been reassured that there would be no danger, only noise. This father, Daniel Lee, survived the Vietnam War and immigrated with his wife to the United States. And he actually started having flashbacks. Of course. While this, oh, while this the was PTSD happening. type of response, yeah. So Landis, so the director, Landis, Holsey, and Wingo, the helicopter driver, and production manager and explosive specialist were tried and acquitted of charges of manslaughter in a nine-month trial in 1986 and 1987. Oh, shit. So did they get, like, no time? So, at the trial, the defense claimed that the explosions were detonated at the wrong time. An assistant cameraman on board the helicopter testified that production manager told Wingo, that's too much, let's get out of here, when the explosions were detonated, but Landis shouted over the radio, get lower, get lower. Production manager said that Wingo tried to leave the area, but that we lost our control and regained it, and then I could feel something let go, and we began spinning around in circles. Mm. 
Another camera operator on board testified that Landis had earlier shrugged off warnings about the stunt with a comment, we may lose the helicopter. Oh, just matter of fact, we might lose the helicopter. Right. Oh. Exactly. Oh my God. In the course of the cross-examination, the helicopter pilot, Wingo, expressed his regret that Morrow had not looked up at the helicopter as he claimed he had been instructed to do, stating that when questioned that Morrow had over five seconds between the time that the sound of the helicopter changed and that impact. Oh. So they're essentially, like, questioning a dead man. Yeah. Later, he clarifies that he was not attempting to place blame. Wingo's comments were roundly derated, and including by the prosecutor... Um, who during the cross-examination had responded to the suggestion that Morrow could have evaded the helicopter by questioning how exactly Wingo expected him to have done so and observed that Morrow was carrying two children in his arms while standing almost knee-deep in water as the helicopter, which had been hovering at 24 feet, spun toward him. This is fucked up. Right? Holy shit. But that must be so scary, too, just having, like, an actual helicopter flying at you. Yeah. Right before your dad. Seriously. Right. I mean, what is one supposed to think? Duck? Yeah. Those poor kids. So the deputy district attorney called the testimony quite amazing and questioned how Wingo could possibly have thought that Vic Morrow could have done anything to escape that helicopter under those circumstances and conditions. Mm-hmm. So, like I said before, it's a classic example of a defense. They're blaming the parents. They're blaming the fire safety officers. Yeah. They're blaming everyone. They're even blaming a dead man. Yeah. I mean, they're taking every avenue that they possibly have to try to put the blame on anyone other than themselves victim blaming victim yeah. blaming That's what yes big, big corporations exactly. and big, yeah. big things like to do entities that. that have a ton of money yeah. yeah vic morrow's family did settle within a year and the children's family collected millions of dollars from several civil lawsuits and in the <laughs> aftermath of it all the directors guild of america's safety committee began publishing regular safety bulletins for its members and established a telephone hotline to enable directors to get quick answers to safety questions. Nice. The guild also began to discipline its members for violations of its safety procedures on set, which it, it had not done prior to the crash. Oh, mm. SAG introduced a 24-hour hotline and safety team for its members and encouraged members to use the right of refusal guaranteed in contracts if they believed a scene was unsafe. Nice. Filming accidents fell by 69.6% between 1982 and 1986. Although there were still six deaths on sets. I don't know what those deaths were. I don't know what Look them up for yourselves. yourselves. Yes. Landis spoke about the accident in a 1996 interview and said there was absolutely no good aspect about this whole story. The tragedy, which I think about every day, had an enormous impact on my career, from which I may possibly never recover. 
Yeah. You violated all these fucking rules, motherfucker. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. You violated a this ton a of fucking rules. This is a you problem. This is a you problem, Landis. Like, okay. Come on. For fuck's sake, man. Landis didn't land the plane. No, he didn't. No, he crashed the plane. Yeah. I do know for a fact that that Vietnam War scene was cut from the final film. So, oh. like, Vic Morrow is in the film, but the scene with the children is not. Mm understandably i'm sure there's people out there that want to see that footage yeah like lost media well of course i mean uh, aren't there scenes of like uh, what uh brandon lee being killed i think you can find it yeah somewhere wait wasn't that the actual footage in the film or am i making that oh it might be for some reason Uh, i thought i read somewhere like in the crow when brandon lee gets shot like that actually was him being shot and killed it might be. It could be. I know the scene, but yeah. I, I don't know. I know, know the like scene, the too. Whole, I don't know the whole movie. Yeah. Yeah. I love that movie. It's like yeah. The, the I think it's whatever, but R.I.P. Brandon Lee. It's very gothic. Yeah. And then the last, the last thing is Steven Spielberg, since he co-produced, he broke off his friendship with Landis, and he came out vocally and said that the crash made me grow a little, and left everyone who worked on the movie sick to the center of their souls. He added, no movie is worth dying for. I think people are standing up much more now than ever before to producers and directors who ask too much. Oh. If something isn't safe, it's the right and responsibility of every actor or crew member to yell out cut. I love that. And that is the story of the Twilight Zone incident. I love that. What a fascinating story. I have never heard about that. I didn't either until I just stumbled across this. Wow. I've heard of it, but I didn't know the details of it. I knew that it was like a movie where something bad happened, but I, I couldn't. I know. Like, yeah. So wild. I know. I never heard it at all. So, I mean, that's very sad. I think it's interesting because it's the Twilight Zone, which is known for like science fiction and horror and bizarre sort of things. Yeah. And something like that happened, even though it had to do with like negligence and people. Yeah. Wow. Still the Twilight Zone. Yeah. 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 Right there. I love that, Jen. Me too. If you want to see our uncut footage. Yeah. Go to Patreon. Yep. Patreon. 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 Patreon.com slash Bizarre Buffet. Follow us on social media. Slide into our DMs on Instagram. Oh, yeah. On Facebook. Bizarre Buffet. Bizarre Buffet everywhere. If you're listening to us, we um, also have our episodes on youtube so just yeah. go to youtube bizarre yeah. buffet and if you're Absolutely. watching us yeah and hey like, girls i just want to hear you hey ladies want can... some asmr yeah oh, you like that you can hear our you podcast like on any <laughs> podcast yeah platform. any fucking platform yeah. spotify apple iHeartRadio, media and until next time i am the original host of the twilight series rod <laughs> Sterling, not Sterling with a T. <laughs> and I'm Alec Baldwin. Oh my God. Innocent. 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 And I am the talking doll from the series Talking Tina. Talking, talking Tina. Tina? What the fuck is I've that? I've heard of that. Okay. Alec Baldwin's innocent. <laughs>